Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Lawrence Kotlikoff. If you remember last week, we were talking about the magnitude of the downside in investing, um, where you can sometimes make great gains when things are going well, but you also stand to make great losses if things aren't going well. And the financial advisors don't necessarily tell you that. And that's where Lawrence was talking about economics economics-based planning and the difference between normal financial planning and economics-based planning. And we're going to pick it up there. And that's what economics-based planning does. It shows you these trajectories. Our software, for example, shows you trajectories of where your living standard would go up and down. Now, I know you're talking primarily to Canadians, right? I've got that. Or well, not. I'm in Canada. I don't know where the listeners are. The listeners are, yeah. Well, for the, yeah, so our, our software is, uh, has U.S. taxes and Social Security in it, yep. but for Canadians could run our software. They just have to, under settings and assumption, turn off our tax system and Social Security system and basically try and put in, uh, a, try and proxy their, you know, put in their Canadian pension and uh, put in their net income rather than gross income. There's a way to handle to use the program pretty well, even if you're not an American, uh, U.S. citizen. You guys are Americans, we're Americans. I really meant a U.S. citizen. Uh, so um, but that's what you wanna see. You wanna see the ups and downs of your living standard so you can make this decision about, uh, am I gonna take a, uh, a risky investment and also spending strategy? Am I gonna spend aggressively through time thinking, gee, I'm going to really make a killing on the market. My broker told me this. I'm paying him all this money. He's, he's got to do well. It must be great because he's charging me so much. <laughs> and um, and then it may not pay off. Uh, that's a decision, a lifestyle decision too. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a high risk. It's, a, it's kind of a decision to live at the edge. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, where you want to live, uh, where, how you want to spend your money in retirement, um, how you want to, you, you certainly want to try and optimize uh, your spending power. And I mean, think about this uh, issue. You're, you've got a mortgage and you might have a retirement account. Your retirement accounts are called the registered retirement system, yep. right? RRST. RSP, right. So it's not really much different from the US. No. Well, uh, if you're retired and you can take the money out on a safe basis, I mean, with a penalty-free basis because you're old enough 
that's uh, if you're over 59, that's the case in the US, you can take your money out of, let's say a traditional IRA, take the money out and pay off your mortgage. You might say, gee, that's crazy. I have the money in the stock market. Why should I pay off the mortgage? Maybe the mortgage is, is uh, charging you three and a half percent. That's your mortgage rate. And you can yield, you can earn in the US today around 2% in treasury bonds, long-term treasury bonds. So a lot of people have mortgages for three, three and a half percent. It's a one, one and a half percent differential there. So I can safely take my money. Uh, in the US, we have these Roth accounts where you can take money out without paying any taxes because you're ready to pay taxes on the principal on the money that's put in. So if you if you had the money in the Roth, you could just take the money out, just pay off your mortgage you'd make a one, one and a half percent differential. That's a safe arbitrage. That's a way to get a higher living standard. And this can add up to a lot. If you've got a big mortgage, it can mean a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, 50, $100,000, that range, depending on the size of the mortgage. Uh, because these small differentials and in interest rates can matter now, but you might say, but I'm going to give up earning six and a half percent on the stock market. Why should I take my money out of my region or let alone pay taxes from my taking money out of my RSP, right? Uh, or my traditional IRA and pay taxes and then use the, what's left to pay off the mortgage. Uh, well, that could still pay for itself, by the way. Um, because we've run that with it in our software, even if you have to pay taxes on the withdrawal. But why should I do that if I can earn so much more in the stock market? You can earn that money in the stock market without risk. And the fact that you can only earn such a low return safely means that uh, that's the risk adjustment. So once you risk adjust, that's what the market is saying. At the margin, you can buy stock, you can buy these bonds, the differential is telling you the risk adjustment. This, these bonds are safe apart from inflation. Uh, and then, you know, then we also, let me just say one other thing. I, I don't want to, you know, I'm a professor, so I could talk forever, right? <laughs> so uh, with inflation taking off in the US, uh, I'm not sure whether it's really happening in Canada to the same extent. I mean, it probably is. Uh, not, yeah, maybe not as much i i don't think it's too bad right well inflation i guess the price of houses has certainly gone up yeah but in, in our we're, we're running like a six percent inflation across the board and different so if you paid off your mortgage so i don't want to kind of suggest everybody they go run off and pay off their mortgage because if you have a mortgage it's a nominal payment and if inflation takes off what do you have to pay back in real real terms, in terms of, let's say, how many hot dogs those repayments, that, that monthly payment cost, that goes down. You're paying back in watered-down dollars. So that's like a natural hedge against inflation. Let's say you had a, a pension that was, uh, or a government, or a bond that was paying a fixed nominal coupon, and inflation is 6%. The purchasing power of that payment stream goes down six percent this year. Right. Went down for people. 
So how many hot dogs they could buy goes down 6%. But also if their mortgage payments in real terms go down by 6%. So it's a hedge. So uh, if people are exposed to the to inflation risk, depending on how their income is coming in or how they're invested, uh, then they may not want to pay off the mortgage, even though they can make this interest differential. So all these things are being discussed in the book, but part of um, a lifestyle decision is how much risk you want to take. Well, let me let me tell you about a cool idea that I talk about in the book. It's called upside investing, which is to try and people want to have some money in the market because they know on average it's a good good return. It's not like going to the casino where you on average you're going to lose money. Uh, so how can you put your money in the stock market, put some money in the stock market without uh, uh, risking your core living standard? Well, actually uh, there's a way to do it. And it's called upside investing. And it's like going to Las Vegas and taking a hundred bucks to the casino and leaving your wallet at home in the, in the hotel room. Leaving your wallet in the hotel room is securing your living standard because you know you're not going to be using your credit cards that are in the wallet to go buy chips two hours from now, right? Yeah. Uh, and basically risk losing everything because you buy half a million dollars worth of chips on credit card, um, some number, some big number. Yeah. Obviously, maybe you can't do that, but maybe you could buy $5,000 worth of chips and, and lose it all that evening. So, so how can you do this... Um, invest in the stock market without risking your living standard. So here's how you can do it. You can um, think about uh, putting money, in, you've got some money in the stock market now, you can think about how much you're gonna add to the stock market through time. And then you can think about at what point will I start gradually uh, moving that money from the stock market into safe investments. So in our country, we could buy inflation index bonds which are safe investments, they're yielding negative returns right now, but they're still safe. You know for sure how much you're gonna lose, okay? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not, it's not fun, but it's safe. You're not gonna lose more than that um, or less. So uh, uh, now suppose you then say, I'm gonna take all the other money that I don't have in the stock market that I'm not spending this year, I'm gonna invest safely in these inflation index bonds. So, and then I'm gonna spend as if all the money in the stock market that's there now and everything that I add, that I plan to add is gone, is lost hundred percent. Now I'm gonna set a floor to my lip. So under that assumption, I'm gonna spend based on that assumption that everything's in the market, that I'm gonna to add to the market, all gone. I'm gonna figure out how much spending I can do given that that's my living standard floor. And then when I start taking money out of the market, if there is anything to take out, every as I take it out, I get to uh, permanently raise that level of my living standard, my floor. So it's all upside. It's just like I don't spend anything from going to the casino until I leave the casino. And now I can permanently raise my spending. And whatever winnings, if I walk out of the door with, you know, $5,000 from the casino and divided by the number of years I have left, 
that's how much more I can spend every year from that evening at the casino. That's, um, uh, if you like casino investing or upside investing, um, I have a colleague as V. Bodhi uh, at BU, uh, he calls it safety first investing. So our software uh, is implementing this, uh, but not everybody likes to wear use software. So I wrote the book because most people don't want to run software, but, but they don't really need to, to get the gist of 90% of what I'm trying to, you know, the software can convey, or maybe 80% in certain cases, but a lot. So the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, what I take from all of that is that, you know, basically what people need to do is figure out what they're happy with as a baseline and anything that's going to go up or go down from there, they've got to decide whether it's worth that change in the baseline. If they want, if they, if they invest something and they make money, then they can, they can averaging it out, increase their baseline, or they can spend it all at once if they want to, but they've got to but think they, about if, what's happening. If they take it out, let's say it goes up and, uh, and they spend, or gee, my market, I just got a 10% return this year. I'm going to spend more. That's not upside investing because, no. because now you've spent, you haven't taken the money out and invested it safely. What you're doing is, uh, presuming that that money, when you do take it out, will be temporary, you know, that 10% gain will be yours to take out, but it could drop 20% next year, right? And you spent more this year. So now next year, kind of a situation where you have to drop your spending. So the idea is to have a floor where you never have to have, have your living standard ever decline and only go up. So you, so if the market does great guns, Unless you take the money out and invest it safely, you don't spend any more, according to this rule. That's okay. upside investing. Okay. And all through all through this, I keep going back in my mind to the uh, going through the grocery store with the uh, with the grocery cart, thinking about you know all the things I'm buying with no prices, and that's to me that's a a really really clear way of looking at the things I do in my life and what they, what they cost me, because I don't know until later for most of the things. So you've got to really look at what you're doing and you've got to really think about how that might affect your life, you know, down the road, you know, at that, at the cash register. Right. I mean, I think that's the whole essence of your podcast, if I have it right, that beyond retirement, you're trying to understand how can I take this time I've got, um, and, and the resources I have and best allocate them to get the most happiness. Yep, put it to the best use. So I've got the combination of my time and my time as a resource and, uh, and then money as a resource. And how can I use these two resources to maximize what economists call utility? Uh, and we have mathematical expressions. So we've been kind of focused on what we call utility maximization. And when there's uncertainty, like when there's uncertainty about what kind of return I'm going to get from investing, how big inflation will be, uh, my health, future health bills. Then we are focused on something called expected utility. How much do I uh, have to think about my average happiness uh, because it's not for sure. Right. And 
and our our mathematical expressions for happiness take into account that the downside is much worse than the upside. So the average happiness is putting greater, it's like it's not like a simple average, it's putting much stronger weight on the down on downside outcomes. Um, so that leads us to be risk averse, or this is another way of saying that, that this concern about the downside, this over concern is, is, is the, our expression in economics, mathematical expression for risk aversion. And it leads us to want to diversify our portfolio, not put everything in. So I was you know, just talking about upside investing where I had you know, a good chunk of your money safely invested and then some money in the stock market, that's diversification. It's not all in the stock market, yeah. right? Uh, if you're willing to have downside living standard risk, you might uh, say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to spend, I had a 10% return, uh, I'm willing to increase my spending, and I'm willing to take the risk of having my living standard drop. If you're not that risk averse, then that's okay for you. You're, you're not, you'll be able to sleep at night you're not, because you don't, uh, care that much about the, you know, you, you can be happy at a much lower living standard and it's not going to bother you. Uh, you spend your, you know, early days on the beach as a beach bum, you know, beach comb or whatever, uh, living, sleeping on the beach in, in a, uh, whatever, knapsack, uh, <laughs> bag. and, um, that's, so everybody has their own preferences here. Um, well, we have to think things out in advance. That's the essence of going beyond retirement, not just being retired and, as you said, sitting and watching Netflix all day because you're going to run out of, of good shows to see. Yep. You can't, they can't make them fast enough. So the, uh, the whole thing is just learning how or paying attention enough to the choices that you're making so that you can make the choices that average out and give you the lifestyle you want. Think about all the, yeah, think about everything is a choice and everything has a, every choice has a price. A price. Yeah. So how can I, uh, and I've got to look around. I mean, when we moved here to this terrific house at one third the square footage cost, what I realized is that I had not done my homework as personal homework and looking around at the housing market, I had thought in my mind, it can't be that cheap in Providence, so why bother looking? We're only uh, you know, an hour from Boston to drive. I can take the commuter rail, uh, which I'm gonna do <laughs> when I teach in the spring, uh, in January, I start teaching again. Um, well, so I, I wasn't looking at the price, I was buying, I was shopping blind uh, in the sense that we're staying in our apartment not understanding what other things were costing, right. the other opportunities were. I have a friend who lives in Bali who uh, uh, works from Bali and things are very cheap and he has people cooking him meals every day in Bali, Indonesia. Uh, he lives right on the beach. And so he, he likes that lifestyle. And um, uh, so there's lots of opportunities out there just on the housing side, but uh, you know, how are you gonna spend your time? Maybe you're volunteering uh, to work for a museum, uh, but maybe there's another 
five volunteer op, uh, opportunities out there that, which might be more fulfilling if you really looked around. Right. So it's, and yeah, it's just a matter of yeah. making the choices and, and knowing what the price of that choice is. We're, we kind of like, uh, we get satisfied too. We, we, we think we have a natural tendency, I think as humans to think that what we're doing is optimal. What I'm trying to get across is maybe what we're doing is suboptimal as just a natural state because to, to, it has to be suboptimal because understanding uh, all the prices of things requires a lot of looking, right? I mean, and so even though I've looked here in Providence and we've moved here and we spent uh, eight years living too expensively in Boston. We made a big mistake living that long in Boston in retrospect. I thought it was a brilliant move to come here. I started bragging to my friends, gee, how, how smart was my wife to find this place and, and how stupid was I? But then I agreed with her and we moved here and we made this minor killing on housing. And weren't we, weren't we, you know, cool for doing that? And then it occurred to me that what I was really doing was confessing being stupid, having lived in Boston and having not looked for eight years. Yep. And I stopped bragging. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly realized that what I really needed to say was I was had been been dumb, had been made a mistake, and not made not look beyond Boston. So it's not just beyond retirement; it's beyond your your current abode. It's beyond your, um, you know, you're, you're going here for a vacation, but, or you have a vacation home that you go to every summer, but maybe you could rent it out and be going over here on a trip that you've never been to. Yeah. And you're kind of stuck in a rut uh, because you haven't thought through this. Uh, that's the book is trying to get people to look at things from a economist angle, but also to shake them up. It's got, it's full of financial shockers. I just, you know, I told you about upside investing. And in some ways is a shocker to say that I can have a living center floor and still invest in the stock market and never risk my living center going down. That should be a shocker to people because it's not in any other, I've never seen it discussed except maybe by my colleagues, Vibodi in a couple of books he's written, but uh, I think the two of us are the only ones who really been talking about this. Um, or the idea that here's another thing. I mean, if you're older, as you get older in retirement, should you put more money in the stock market? Um, and economics actually says you should. You should put a bigger share of your risky assets Let's say you've got risky assets and you've got safe assets, okay? So the risky assets correspond to, let's say, risky bonds and risky stocks. And the stocks are riskier than the bonds. Should your, as you age, uh, should your share of assets that you're putting into stock go up? Now, almost every financial planner in Canada and the US will tell you, no, as you get older, you want to be 
more and more conservative in your portfolio. But economics says the opposite, actually. That's one of the financial shockers in this book. It says, gee, as you age, you're running down your, your, your liquid assets, you're spending those assets. So, but your pension, your state Canadian, your old aging income, right? OAI pension, right? OAS, um, but yeah. OAS, and uh, US or social security benefit, that's staying fixed. Adjusted, it's adjusted for inflation. It's a floor, but our financial assets are running down. We're running those down because we're spending them up. So our overall portfolio, if we consider our uh, pension from our state, from the state government, we're becoming more like a bond and less like a stock. There's a terrific economist named Moisha Malefsky at the university, I think it's um, University of Toronto, I, th- I believe he's there. Anyway, he's a terrific Canadian economist. And he wrote a book called, Are You a Stock or a Bond? And I write about this, his book in my book, Money Magic. And he, Malefsky's pointing out something that Bob Merton, who's a Nobel laureate in finance and probably the, basically the Isaac Newton of finance, um, really done the most important work, uh, including working on option pricing, uh, he got the Nobel Prize for his work on that with a couple other economists. But anyway, uh, Merton's point was that the Moisha talks about and I talk about is that uh, through time, as you age, you want to uh, basically have an even share of your risky assets in a, in a, uh, in bonds versus stock. But as you get older, uh, you become more like a bond because more of your total resources are in this state pension because you're running down your other assets. So that's why a bigger share of those smaller uh, absolute amounts of assets that are could be being invested in stock should go into stock right. so that you can keep this ratio of stocks to bonds at a, kind of an even level. And, uh, that's something very surprising that, that most uh, people wouldn't think, um, but, it, but it makes sense. I mean, if you're, let me put it, let me get, make, just kind of make this, I'll drive this home a little bit uh, clearer. Uh, suppose you had a $30,000 a year pension and $10 in assets. Well, if you invested all those assets in the riskiest uh, possible as, you know, security, which had a huge upside, but lots of risk, a very good probability of, of earning, of losing it all. There'd be no risk associated with that, right? All you could do is basically get, get you know, a bonanza, win the lottery. It's like a lottery ticket, but there's no downside risk. You're always gonna get your $30,000 a year. You're not putting your living standard at risk, but suppose you had $30 million and a $30,000 pension and you put, all of that $30 million in the stock market and the stock market drops in half like it did in the great recession uh, or did in the in dot-com bubble or drops 86% like it did in the great depression in th- from 29 through 33. Well, n- now you're putting your living standard, your future living standard in your kids, because you're gonna leave that some of that money, your kids living standard uh, and your grandkids living standard at risk uh, 
And so what economics is saying is that the rich need to invest more cautiously than the poor. Just think about that. That's exactly the opposite of what standard conventional uh, wisdom is, right? That's another uh, financial shocker. So the book is, um, it is an eye-opener, I think, in that respect. I shouldn't probably be kind of bragging on my book because that's probably <laughs> not appropriate, but you know, I'm trying to get, I'm enthused about economics. And I'm enthused about trying to convey it. He asked at the beginning why I got into economics is try and help people this is my way of helping people in a very practical way. Show them that economics is telling you things that are different than you're hearing from people that are trying to make money off of you. And I think that's that's a big a big difference between the financial advisors, financial planners, and economists. And that's something that everybody needs yeah. to needs to understand because it, it's not something that I really thought about before. I'm not really sure. I thought about what an economist does, but I assume that all the financial people are all telling me the same thing. And you're showing me that uh, that's not true at all. Yeah, we have, a, uh, in economics, we have, you know, uh, finance as a, as a branch of economics and every top business school in the country has uh, a finance department. And most, most, and there's a lot of people doing finance and economics departments because all the Nobel Prizes in finance were, were, were awarded to a PhD economist like Bob Mertens, an economist, a PhD economist. So it's basically just a, a subfield of, of economics. And there's not a single one of, of these programs that spends 10 minutes teaching the conventional method of, of personal finance. What people are taught in like the um, Certificate of Financial planning the CFP programs or the RIA registered investment advisor programs. We're not teaching the same things that they're teaching and they're not teaching what we're teaching. Yeah. Uh, they're not spending 10 minutes on the economics approach to financial planning, complete disconnect really. And then you got to ask, well, who's teaching the right stuff? <laughs> we're, we're teaching the right stuff. Trust me. <laughs> what they're teaching is, um, not something anybody would teach what they're teaching in programs in finance and the top 50 programs that'd be fired the next day. Uh, they're, they're teaching seriously incorrect uh, things and things that will get people into financial trouble. Like the stock market is safe in the long run. No evidence whatsoever. All the evidence is the opposite. You try and buy a insurance against the stock market dropping below a certain level, the further out you buy that insurance, you say, I'd like to buy it for it being below this level 20 years out or 30 years out. The further out you go, the more expensive is the insurance. If the stock was safe, stock market was safer um, in the long run, it would be cheaper, but it's not. So. Uh, Unfortunately, um We've run out of time for today. Um, <laughs> I, I know you could go on and tell us all sorts of stories out of your book and all kinds of other shocking things that I think uh, people will be interested in. 
So I'm going to suggest that everybody should go out and buy Money Magic because I think it's going to help all of us in planning for our retirement. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today and for explaining to me the difference between financial planning and economics and for suggesting to me and to the listeners the uh, proper way to look about look at our decisions about planning for retirement I think uh, I think we've got a lot of things to think about thank you thank you so much for the opportunity to to meet you and talk to your uh, listeners your viewers really enjoyed it my pleasure thank thank you take care thank you so much for joining me today next week I'm going to be talking with Leah Seifor who's going to be telling us how we can figure out who we are without a job. Hope you'll tune in then. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Are you ready to start rocking your retirement? Head on over to www.beyondretirement.ca forward slash rocking it and sign up to plan out your own roadmap for retirement. Don't wait till it's too late.